Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. Today we're going to talk about a doctrine of the gospel. We'll have some sound bites from Elder Ballard and Elder Oaks. But today we're going to talk about the doctrine of inclusion. I think it's a doctrine in the sense that it is an absolute teaching in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet often it is spoken of so very little when we talk about those who are outside our faith or even those who are within our faith who hold very different positions, who are very different from us in the way in which they incorporate the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it's an all or nothing that we simply need to be inclusive of anything and everything and anything goes. But I do think we have progress to make in our effort to be kinder, to be more charitable, to be more Christ-like. May we begin with an opening statement from Elder Ballard in his conference talk, The Doctrine of Inclusion. It may very well have been a beautiful, crisp autumn day like this. The Savior was sitting, teaching some of his disciples, when a man identified only as a certain liar stood and asked him, Master? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knew the man's heart and understood the question was a thinly veiled attempt to get him to say something contrary to the law of Moses. The Savior responded to the question with two questions of his own. What is written in the law? How readest thou? As you might expect, the lawyer was able to recite the law. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Thou hast answered right, the Savior said. This do, and thou shalt live. But the lawyer wasn't satisfied with that, knowing that there were strict rules and beliefs among the Jews regarding the association with those not of the faith. He pressed the Lord for more information, hoping to trap him in controversy. And who is my neighbor, he asked. It was time once again to teach. Jesus drew upon one of his favorite and most effective teaching techniques, a parable, perhaps one of the most beloved and well-known parables in all of Christendom. You know the parable, how a man from Jerusalem was on his way to Jericho and fell among thieves and was left half dead. A certain priest passed by on the other side, And a Levite did not stop either to help. Then Jesus taught, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to the inn, and took care of him. Then Jesus asked the lawyer one more question. Which now of these three 
thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And the lawyer replied, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus delivered his final instruction to the lawyer and to all who have read the parable of the Good Samaritan. Go and do thou likewise. Elder Ballard here sets the tone for his talk by sharing the words of the Savior that it is our responsibility to love all those around us. We could even pick up things the Savior said about loving our enemies or to uh, love thy neighbor as thyself, the second of the two great commandments, which really is just a, a second part of one commandment. And as we begin to see him setting this up, uh, may we each think about the Savior's example and the things that he's done as we begin to move forward through this uh, this discussion so that each of us might uh, be willing and open to seeing where we need to change. Now on to the next statement from Elder Ballard. Every time I read this parable, I'm impressed with the power, its power and its simplicity. But have you ever wondered why the Savior chose to make the hero of this story a Samaritan? There was considerable antipathy between the Jews and the Samaritans at the time of Christ. Under normal circumstances, these two groups avoided association with each other. It would still be a good instructive parable if the man who fell among the thieves had been rescued by a brother Jew. His deliberate use of Jews and Samaritans clearly teaches that we are all neighbors and that we should love, esteem, respect, and serve one another despite our deepest differences, including religious, political, and cultural differences. Again, he's he's essentially setting up further into the talk. Not only do we have a responsibility to love and care and and look out for those around us, but then he speaks of the Savior's poignant example of the Good Samaritan and essentially says that even those who who absolutely are brushing up against us and rubbing us the wrong way, uh, those who are in our comfort zones and making us uncomfortable, that especially... That even these people, that even these individuals have just as much claim upon our kindness and our charity towards them. He then follows it up with this. Thankfully, many of our members understand this doctrine and live it during the course of their daily lives. So he he points out, thankfully, many of our members. But many's not most. It's just many. It's a lot. A lot of our members do this. But a lot of our members don't. They don't practice this doctrine of inclusion. And I hope as we go through that each of us might look at our own lives and see the differences that we can make. Now on to the next soundbite. If we are truly disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will reach out with love and understanding to all of our neighbors at all times, particularly in times of need. How many of us, when when given the opportunity to mingle with those not of our faith, of our of our community uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we, we find ways to kind of not be involved. If there's things going on with service projects in the community, we tend to favor those that are done by our own church. When somebody is in need in our community, we tend to find somebody in our church who is in need and help them out. And yet it sounds like from Elder Ballard that there's this idea that we need to be as loving to any and all of God's children, not showing a preference simply to members of the church just because they're members of the church, but rather be doing more in our own backyard with those around us who are not of our faith. Now on to the next quote. A recent church news 
carried a story of two women who are dear friends, a Jewish physician from New York and a stay-at-home Latter-day Saint mom of six from Utah, both a long way from their homes in Dallas, Texas. Our member reported, If our friendship had been put through a computer matching service, I doubt we would have made it past the first turtle. A woman with a busy medical practice, I assumed, would have little desire to discuss the color of the hospitality napkins for PTA. And then he says this poignant statement. Funny thing about assumptions, they can cut away the very roots of something that could flourish and grow if given a chance. I'm forever grateful that assumptions were cast aside. What assumptions do we make? Do we make assumptions about those in the LGBT community? Do we make assumptions about those in the church who are being a voice for more uh, responsibility and uh, inclusion of the sisters of the church? Are we being judgmental of the non-member who doesn't want to join our church and is not interested in our message? Are we judgmental of members of our faith who who tend to see things from a different political viewpoint or who come from different things from a different angle? I think often, as this podcast always speaks about, we need to pay particular attention to our assumptions and realize that often our assumptions are wrong. On to the next soundbite. Perceptions and assumptions can be very dangerous and unfair. There are some of our members who may fail to reach out with friendly smiles, warm handshakes, and loving service to all of their neighbors. At the same time, there may be those who move into our neighborhoods who are not of our faith, who come with preconceived negative perceptions about the church and its members. Surely good neighbors should put forth every effort to understand each other and to be kind to one another regardless of religion, nationality, race, or culture. So now, having driven home the general principle, Elder Ballard, and I'll supplement it with Elder Oaks, begin to drive the point home with specific instances and examples. Elder Ballard begins with this one. Occasionally I hear of members offending those of other faiths, by overlooking them and leaving them out. This can occur especially in communities where our members are the majority. I've heard about narrow-minded parents who tell children that they cannot play with a particular child in the neighborhood simply because his or her family does not belong to our church. This kind of behavior is not in keeping with the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot comprehend why any member of our church would allow these kinds of things to happen. I've been a member of this church my entire life. I've been a full-time missionary, twice a bishop, a mission president, a 70, and now an apostle. I've never taught, nor have I ever heard taught, a doctrine of exclusion. I've never heard the members of this church urged to be anything but loving, kind, tolerant, and benevolent to our friends and neighbors of other faiths. And just to keep with the principle of in the mouth of two or three witnesses, here's Elder Oaks on the same idea. I begin with what our young children learn in their play activities. Too often, non-Mormons here in Utah have been offended and alienated by some of our members who will not allow their children to be friends with children of other faiths. 
Surely we can teach our children values and standards of behavior without having them distance themselves or show disrespect for any who are different. And this quote from Elder Ballard. The Lord expects a great deal from us. Parents, please teach your children and practice yourselves the principle of inclusion of others and not exclusion because of religious, political, or cultural differences. Parents, you've been given the challenge. Teach your children the doctrine of inclusion. Wouldn't that make a great lesson for a family home evening this week? Just my thoughts. I uh, I feel like we spend so much time talking about first vision and golden plates that we often leave off to the side those greater things in the kingdom, which is the principles of the gospel, faith, love, hope, charity, repentance, brotherly kindness, compassion. Those are the things that I think our focus would be better spent on. It doesn't mean we leave the other things out. It just means what's going to have a greater impact, teaching our children historical points or teaching our children Christ-like attributes. On to the next soundbite. While it is true... We declare to the world the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been restored to the earth through the prophet Joseph Smith. And we urge our members to share their faith and testimonies with others. It has never been the policy of the church that those who choose not to listen or to accept our message should be shunned or ignored. Indeed, the opposite is true. President Gordon B. Hinckley has repeatedly reminded us of this special obligation that we have as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I quote just one. Each of us is an individual. Each of us is different. There must be respect for those differences. We must work harder to build a mutual respect and attitude of forbearance with tolerance one for another regardless of the doctrines and philosophies which may we may espouse. Concerning these, you and I may disagree, but we can do so with respect and civility. Let me read that again, what he said. While it is true we declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been restored to the earth through the prophet Joseph Smith, and we urge our members to share their faith and testimonies with others, it has never been the policy of the church that those who choose not to listen or to accept our message should be shunned or ignored. That, to me, is powerful, and it's one that we often cast aside and do not adhere to. Elder Oaks hits on the same idea when he says this. On the subject of public discourse, we should all follow the gospel teachings to love our neighbor and avoid contention. Followers of Christ should be examples of civility. We should love all people, be good listeners, and show concern for their sincere beliefs. Though we may disagree, we should not be disagreeable. Our stands and communications on controversial topics should not be contentious. We should be wise in explaining and pursuing our positions and in exercising our influence. In doing so, we ask that others not be offended by our sincere religious beliefs and the free exercise of our religion. We encourage all of us to practice the Savior's golden rule, whatsoever ye would do that Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Then Elder Ballard, in an effort to help us better understand those who do not agree with us and how we should interact with each other, says this. 
As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we understand that we're perceived by some to be a peculiar people. Our doctrines and beliefs are important to us. We embrace them and cherish them. I'm not suggesting for a moment that we shouldn't. On the contrary, our peculiarity and our uniqueness of the message of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ are an indispensable elements in offering the people of the world a clear choice. Neither am I suggesting that we should associate in any relationship that would place us or our families at spiritual risk. We must understand, however, that not everyone is going to accept our doctrine of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the most part, our neighbors, not of our faith, are good, honorable people, every bit as good and honorable as we strive to be. They care about their families, just like we do. They want to make the world a better place, just like we do. They are kind and loving and generous and faithful, just like we seek to be. Nearly 25 years ago, the First Presidency declared, Our message is one of special love and concern for the eternal welfare of all men and women, regardless of religion, belief, race, or nationality, knowing that we are truly brothers and sisters because we are the sons and daughters of the same Eternal Father. And then this poignant comment from him to finish off that quote. That is our doctrine, a doctrine of inclusion. That is what we believe. That is what we have been taught. Of all people on this earth, we should be the most loving, the kindest, the most tolerant because of that doctrine. Of all the people on the earth, we should be the most loving, the kindest, and the most tolerant because of that doctrine. That to me is beautiful. But what about us as members of the church who are, who are frustrated with the way the world is going? Those of us who are wanting to see the, the social norms or social behaviors once again become more conservative. Even for you, at a bare minimum, Elder Oaks says this. In dedicated spaces like temples, houses of worship, and our own homes, we should teach the truth and the commandments plainly and thoroughly as we understand them from the plan of salvation revealed in the restored gospel. Our right to do so is protected by constitutional guarantees of freedom of speech and religion, as well as by the privacy that is honored even in countries without formal constitutional guarantees. In public, what religious persons say and do involves other considerations. The free exercise of religion covers most public actions, but it is subject to qualifications necessary to accommodate the beliefs and practices of others. Laws can prohibit behavior that is generally recognized as wrong or unacceptable, like sexual exploitation and violence or other terrorist behavior, even when done by extremists in the name of religion. Less grievous behaviors, even though unacceptable to some believers, may simply need to be endured if legalized by what a Book of Mormon prophet called the voice of the people. What he's saying here is at the very worst, you're going to need to endure some of the behaviors that you don't agree with. 
At the same time, you still need to do what Elder Ballard said, which because you're a Latter-day Saint, because you're a covenant people, you still need to express kindness, compassion, tolerance, and care and concern for those around you, irregardless of their behaviors. And to follow this up, Elder Ballard gives three ideas he wants to touch on on how we can better implement this, uh, this doctrine of inclusion. Here's the first. May I suggest three simple things we can do to avoid making others in our neighborhoods feel excluded. First, get to know your neighbors. Learn about their families, their work, their views. Get together with them if they're willing and do so without being pushy and without any ulterior motives. Friendship should never be offered as a means to an end. It can and should be an end unto itself. Do you know what happens when you get to know people? Do you know what happens when you start associating with those who are different than you? Do you know what would happen if you were to make friends with two or three sisters in your ward who are are more of a feminist leaning uh, from your perspective? Do you know what would happen if you made friends with people, both members and non-members, who happen to also be gay? Do you know what would happen if you're a staunch Republican and you made some friends who are also Democrats and who were liberals, uh, whereas maybe you're this staunch conservative? What happens when we do that is we begin to see people not as black and white, not as either or, us versus them, good versus bad. But those barriers begin to come down and we begin to see people for who they are and realize that each of us encompass both positive and negative weaknesses and flaws, talents and skills. And as we get to know each other, as those barriers begin to begin to come down, we have greater understanding for the way that God sees each of us. And with that, Elder Ballard gives another glaring example of how we as Latter-day Saints sometimes fall short of this doctrine of inclusion and actually implement a, a approach that would be anything but Christ-like. I received a letter from a woman who recently moved to Utah, a small part of which I quote, I must tell you, Elder Ballard, that when I greet my neighbors, or if I wave to them, they do not acknowledge my greeting. If I pass them while taking my morning or evening walk, my salutation is not returned. Other people of color consistently express similar negative responses to friendly gestures. If members of the church are among her neighbors, surely they must know that this should not happen. Let us cultivate meaningful relationships of mutual trust and understanding with people from different backgrounds and beliefs. I think with that story, each of us need to take a hard look in the mirror. Do we show preference of one of God's children over another because of the language they they speak, because of the color of their skin, because of the culture they come from, because of the amount of money or lack thereof that they have, because they're a member of the church or they're not. Each of us needs to look in the mirror and say, is there somewhere that I can improve? Stories like that should never happen. And unfortunately, they happen all too often. Now on to his second point that we each should practice and implement into our lives to incorporate this doctrine of inclusion. Second, I believe it would be good if we eliminated a couple of phrases from our vocabulary, non-member and non-Mormon. Such phrases can be demeaning and even belittling. Personally, I don't consider myself to be a non-Catholic, 
or a non-Jew. I am a Christian. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That is how I prefer to be identified for who and what I am, as opposed to what to being identified for what I am not. Let us extend that same courtesy to those who live among us. If a collective description is needed, then neighbors seems to work well in most cases. Obviously, we're not going to be able to eliminate the the terms non-Mormon or non-member completely from our vocabulary. Uh, I've used them several times in this in this episode alone. Uh, but in an effort to promote inclusion, we ought to be very careful and likely do our very best to eliminate these terms when they are pushing for a mode of exclusion, when when the idea behind them is to distinguish members from non-members so that the non-members feel excluded. Hey, sorry, but you're a non-Mormon. You're not a member of the church. That would be what we're trying to get rid of. And so may each of us be more aware of uh, the way in which we use words around those who are different than us. Uh, I have way too often seen members and leaders of the church who are insensitive to the value their words have in the ears of others. Now on to his third point. And third, if neighbors become testy or frustrated because of some disagreement with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or with some law we support for moral reasons, please don't suggest to them, even in a humorous way, that they consider moving someplace else. I cannot comprehend how any member of our church can even think such a thing. Our pioneer ancestors were driven from place to place by uninformed and intolerant neighbors. They experienced extraordinary hardships and persecution because they thought, acted, and believed differently from others. If our history teaches us nothing else, it should teach us to respect the rights of all people to peacefully coexist with one another. In other words... Members of the church throughout our history have been kicked from one place to another and been persecuted. We of all people should know better than to do that to others. Elder Oaks says it this way. When our positions do not prevail, we should accept unfavorable results graciously and practice civility with our adversaries. In any event, we should be persons of goodwill toward all, rejecting persecution of any kind, including persecution based on race, ethnicity, religious belief or non-belief, and differences in sexual orientation. I uh, I don't personally like the use of the word adversary. Uh, it tends to be connected to the word enemy. But keep in mind that Elder Oaks comes from a law background. An adversary is simply one who takes a different position than the position we take. And I hope that that softens that word just a little bit. I now want to begin to kind of work towards this... Uh, Another idea, which is that up until now, I've been speaking to those who are unaware of the hurt they're causing and their inability to recognize that they have been commanded and taught to do otherwise. And now I want to look at those who do see all of this going on in front of them. And I want to speak to you for a moment. In the past, each of you would perceive these, these, uh, these moral injustices or these these offenses given to others where feelings are hurt and people are marginalized and ostracized. And 
often our our response is to be angry and to try to you know find those who do these injustices and let them know it sometimes using severe words or or reproval and i i don't think we should be doing that either i think that's just as wrong as what we've been speaking about today and on this idea of the spirit of contention elder oaks says this The gospel has many teachings about keeping the commandments while living among people with different beliefs and practices. The teachings about contention are central. When the resurrected Christ found the Nephites disputing over the manner of baptism, he gave clear directions on how this ordinance should be performed. Then he taught this great principle, quote, There shall be no disputations among you as there have hitherto been. Neither shall there be disputations among you concerning the points of my doctrine, as there have hitherto been. For verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention. And he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. Behold, this is my doctrine, that such things should be done away. Again, of quote. The Savior did not limit his warning against contention to those who were not keeping the commandment about baptism. He forbade contention by anyone. Even those who keep the commandments must not stir up the hearts of men to contend with anger. The father of contention is the devil. The Savior is the Prince of Peace. Elder Oaks also said this. The Savior taught that contention is a tool of the devil. That surely teaches against some of the current language and practices of politics. Living with policy differences is essential to politics, but policy differences need not involve personal attacks that poison the process of government and punish participants. All of us should banish hateful communications and practice civility for differences of opinion. The most important setting to forego contention and practice respect for differences is in our homes and family relationships. Differences are inevitable, some minor and some major. As to major differences, suppose a family member is in a cohabitation relationship. That brings two important values into conflict, our love for the family member and our commitment to the commandments. Following the Savior's example, we can show loving kindness and still be firm in the truth by foregoing actions that facilitate or seem to condone what we know to be wrong. So while we don't need to condone bad behavior, while we don't need to condone what we believe is sinful behavior, it also would hopefully prompt us to think very deeply, long and hard, before we kicked a child out of our home or shunned a family member because they changed their beliefs, their religious belief system. I have heard of Latter-day Saint children being kicked out of their home because they're gay. I've heard of children being shunned because they joined another faith. Those things shouldn't happen. At the very least, they shouldn't happen without lots of conversation, thought, discussion, prayer, and thinking about what is best to help bring those all within that home unto Christ. Loving someone is not showing approval for their behavior, but shunning someone because of your disapproval is about as far from Christ-like as I can think of. Brothers and sisters, may I finish 
with two concluding quotes. The first from Elder Oaks. In so many relationships and circumstances in life, we must live with differences. Where vital, our side of these differences should not be denied or abandoned, but as followers of Christ, we should live peacefully with others who do not share our values or accept the teachings upon which they are based. The Father's plan of salvation, which we know by prophetic revelation, places us in a mortal circumstance where we are to keep His commandments. That includes loving our neighbors of different cultures and beliefs as He has loved us. As a Book of Mormon prophet taught, we must press forward having a love of God and of all men. As difficult as it is to live in the turmoil surrounding us, our Savior's command to love one another as He loves us is probably our greatest challenge. I pray that we may understand this and seek to live it in all of our relationships and activities. In this from Elder Ballard. Just hours before he began the painful, physical, and spiritual processes of the Atonement, the Savior met with his apostles to partake of the Feast of the Passover, his last supper, and to give them final instructions. He would give them these instructions in mortality, and among which is the great teaching, which is a stirring, life-changing declaration. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved ye, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye shall have love one to another. That is what Jesus taught his disciples, including a certain lawyer through the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that is what he's teaching us today through living prophets and apostles. Love one another. Be kind to one another, despite our deepest differences. Treat one another with respect and civility. May we do just that. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen.